Regulus by Rudyard Kipling Regulus, a Roman general, defeated the Carthaginians 256 BC, but was next year defeated and taken prisoner by the Carthaginians, who sent him to Rome with an embassy to ask for peace, or an exchange of prisoners. Regulus strongly advised the Roman Senate to make no terms with the enemy. He then returned to Carthage and was put to death. The fifth form had been dragged several times in its collective life from one end of the school Horace to the other. Those were the years when army examiners gave thousands of marks for Latin, and it was Mr. King's hated business to defeat them. Hear him then on a raw November morning at second lesson. Aha! he began rubbing his hands. Crass ingens iterabimus iquor. Our portion today is the fifth ode of the third book, I believe, concerning one Regulus, a gentleman. How often have we been through it? Twice, sir, said Malpas, the head of the form. Mr. King shuddered. Yes, twice, quite literally, he said. Today, with an eye to your army vivoci examinations, ugh, I shall exact somewhat freer and more florid renditions, with feeling and comprehension, if that be possible. I accept here his eye swept the back benches our friend and companion beetle from whom now as always i demand an absolutely literal translation the form laughed subserviently spare his blushes beetle charms us first beetle stood up confident in the possession of a guaranteed construe left behind by mcturk who had that day gone to the sick-house with a cold Yet he was too wary a hand to show confidence. Credidimus, we believe, we have believed, he opened in hesitating slow time. Tonantem Jovan, thundering Jove, Regnari, to reign, Kylo, heaven, in, in heaven, Augustus, Augustus, Habebitur, will be held or considered. Price ends Divus, a present god, adjectis Britannis, the Britons being added, imperio to the empire. Gravibusque Persis, with the heavy er stern Persians. What? The grave or stern Persians. Beetle pulled up with the thank God I have done my duty, sir, air of Nelson in the cockpit. I am quite aware, said King that the first stanza is about the extent of your knowledge. But continue, sweet one, continue. Gravibus, by the way, is usually translated as troublesome. Beetle drew a long and tortured breath. The second stanza, which carries over to the third of that ode, is what is technically called a stinker. But McTurk had done him handsomely. Milesne Crassi had has the soldier of Crassus Vixit lived, Terpis Maritus, a disgraceful husband. Usler, the quantity of the word after Terpis, said King. Let's hear it. Beetle guessed again, and for a wonder hit the correct quantity. Uh, a disgraceful husband, a conjuge Barbara, with a barbarous spouse. Why did you select that disgustful equivalent out of all the dictionary? King snapped. Isn't wife good enough for you? Yes, sir. But what do I do about this bracket, sir? Shall I take it now? Confine yourself at present to the soldier of Crassus. Yes, sir. Et and consenuit has he grown old in armies in the uh, arms Hositum Socerorum of his father-in-law's enemies who how which arms of his enemy's father's-in-law sir thanks by the way what meaning do you attach to in armies oh weapons weapons of war sir there was a virginal note in Beetle's voice as though he had been falsely accused of uttering indecencies Shall I take the bracket now, sir? Since it seems to be troubling you. Procuria. Oh, for the Senate House. 
inversique mores, and manners upset, upside down. Very like your translation. Meantime, the soldier of Crassus, sub rege medo, under a median king, Marsus et Apulus, being a Martian and an Apulian. Who, the median king? No, sir, the soldier Crassus. Oblitus agrees with Melisne Crassi, sir, volunteered to Hasty Beetle. Does it? It doesn't with me. Oh, Blitus, Beetle corrected hastily. Forgetful, and Ciliorum of the shields, or trophies, et nominis, and the his name, et togae, and the toga, eternaeque vestae, and eternal vesta. In columni Jove, Jove being safe, et urbe Roma, and the Roman city, with an air of hardly restrained zeal. Shall I go on, sir? Mr. King winced. No, thank you. You have indeed given us a translation. May I ask if it conveys any meaning whatever to your so-called mind? Oh, I think so, sir. This with a gentle toleration for Horace and all his works. We envy you. Sit down. Beetle sat down, relieved, well knowing that a reef of uncharted genitives stretched ahead of him, on which, in spite of McTurk's sailing directions, he would infallibly have been wrecked. Rattray, who took up the task, steered neatly through them, and came unscathed to port. "'Here we require drama,' said King. "'Regulus himself is speaking now. "'Who shall represent the provident-minded Regulus?' "'Winton, will you kindly oblige?' Winton of King's House, a long, heavy, tow-headed, second fifteen forward, overdue for his first fifteen colours, and, in aspect like an earnest elderly horse, rose up and announced, among other things, that he had seen signs affixed to Punic deluges, half the form shouted for joy, and the other half for joy that there was something to shout about. Mr. King opened and shut his eyes with great swiftness. Signad fixa de lubris, he gasped. So de lubris is deluges, is it, Winton? In all our dealings have I ever suspected you of a jest? No, sir said a rigid and angular Winton, while the form rocked about him. And yet you assert delubris means deluges. Whether I am a fit subject for such a jape is, of course, a matter of opinion. But, Winton, you are normally conscientious. May we assume you looked out delubris? No, sir. Winton was privileged to speak that truth dangerous to all who stand before kings. Made a shot at it, then. Every line of Winton's body showed that it had done nothing of the sort. Indeed, the very idea that Pater Winton, and a boy is not called Pater by companions for his frivolity, would make a shot at anything was beyond belief. But he replied, Yes, and all the while worked with his right heel, as though he were healing a ball at Puntabout. Though none dared boast of being a favourite with the King, the taciturn three-cornered Winton stood high in his housemaster's opinion. It seemed to save him neither rebuke nor punishment, but the two were in some fashion sympathetic. Hm, said King dryly. I was going to say, Flagitto aditis damnum. But I think, I think I see the process. Beetle, the translation of de lubris, please. Beetle raised his head from his shaking arm long enough to answer, Ruin, sir. There was an impressive pause, while King checked off crimes on his fingers. Then to Beetle the much-enduring man addressed his winged words. Guessing, said he, guessing, Beetle, as usual, from the look of delubris, that it bore some relation to diluvium or deluge, you imparted the result of your half-baked lucubrations to Winton, who seemed to have been lost enough to have accepted it. Observing next your companion's fall, from the presumed security of your undistinguished position in the rear-guard, you took another pot-shot. The turbid chaos of your mind threw up some memory of the word dilapidations, 
which you have pitifully attempted to disguise under the synonym of ruins. As this was precisely what Beetle had done, he looked hurt but forgiving. We will attend to this later, said King. Go on, Winton, and retrieve yourself. Delubris happened to be the one word which Winton had not looked out, but had asked Beetle for, when they were settling into their places. He forged ahead with no further trouble. Only when he rendered Skiliset as forsooth, King erupted. Regulus, he said, was not a leader-writer for the penny press, nor, for that matter, was Horace. Regulus says, The soldier ransomed by gold will become keener for the fight. Will he by gum? That's the meaning of Siliset. It indicates contempt, bitter contempt. Forsooth, forsooth. You'll be talking about speckled beauties, and eventually transpire next. Howell, what do you make of that doubled vidi ego ego vidi? It wasn't put in to fill up the meter, you know. Isn't it intensive, sir? said Howell, afflicted by a genuine interest in what he read. Regulus was a bit in earnest about Rome making no terms with Carthage, and he wanted to let the Romans understand it, didn't he, sir? less than your usual grace, but the fact. Regulus was in earnest. He was also engaged at the same time in cutting his own throat with every word he uttered. He knew Carthage, which, your examiners won't ask you this, so you needn't take notes, was a sort of godforsaken nigger Manchester. Regulus was not thinking about his own life. He was telling Rome the truth. He was playing for his side. Those lines from the eighteenth to the fortieth ought to be written in blood. Yet there are things in human garments which will tell you that Horace was a flaneur, a man about town. Avoid such beings. Horace knew a great deal. He knew. Erit ille fortis. Will he be brave, who once to faithless foes has knelt? And again, stop pouring with your hooves, Thornton. Hic unde vitam sumeret inscius. That means roughly, but I perceive I'm ahead of my translators. Begin at hic unde, Vernon, and let us see if you have the spirit of Regulus. Now, no one expected fireworks from gentle Paddy Vernon, sub-prefect of Hartrop's house. But, as must often be the case with growing boys, his mind was in abeyance for the time being. And he said, all in a rush, on behalf of Regulus, O magna Carthago, pro proposis, altior Italae ruinis. O Carthage, thou wilt stand forth higher than the ruins of Italy. Even Beetle, most lenient of critics, was interested at this point, though he did not join the half-groan of reprobation from the wiser heads of the form. Please don't mind me, said King, and Vernon kindly did not. He ploughed on thus. He regulars is related to have removed from himself the kiss of the shameful wife and of his small children as less by the head and being stern to have placed his virile visage on the ground. Since King loved virile about as much as he did spouse or forsooth, the form looked up hopefully. But Jove thundered not. Until, Vernon continued, he should have confirmed the sliding fathers as being the author of counsel never given under an alias. He stopped, conscious of the stillness around him, like the dead calm of the typhoon's centre. King's opening voice was sweeter than honey. I am painfully aware by bitter experience that I cannot give you any idea of the passion, the power, the, the essential guts of the lines which you have so foully outraged in our presence. But, the note changed, in so far as in me lies, I will strive to bring home to you, Vernon, the fact that there exist in Latin a few pitiful rules of grammar, of syntax, nay, even of declension, which were not created for your incult sport, your Boeotian diversion. You will, therefore, Vernon, write out and bring to me to-morrow a word-for-word -word English Latin translation of the ode, together with a full list of all adjectives. An adjective is not a verb, Vernon, as the lower third will tell you all adjectives 
their number, case, and gender. Even now I haven't begun to deal with you faithfully. I, I am very sorry, sir, Vernon stammered. You mistake the symptoms, Vernon. You are possibly discomfited by the imposition, but sorrow postulates some sort of mind, intellect, noose. Your rendering of probrosis alone stamps you lower than the beasts of the field. Will someone take the taste out of our mouths? And, talking of tastes, <coughs> he coughed. There was a distinct flavour of chlorine gas in the air. Up went an eyebrow, though King knew perfectly well what it meant. Mr. Hart drops science class next door, said Malpas. Oh, yes, I had forgotten. Our newly established modern side, of course. Perrone, open the windows, and Winton. Go on once more from Interque Myrentes. And hastened away, said Winton, surrounded by his mourning friends, into, into illustrious banishment. But I got that out of Connington, sir, he added, in one conscientious breath. I am aware. The master generally knows his ass's crib, though I acquit you of any intention that way. Can you suggest anything for egregious exile, only egregious exile? I fear egregious is a good word ruined. No? You can't in this case improve on Connington. Now then, for atqui scibat quae sibi barbarus tortor pararet, the whole force of this lies in the atqui. Although he knew, Winton suggested, stronger than that, I think. He who knew well, Malpass interpolated, yes, well, though he knew. I don't like Connington's well-witting, it's Wardour Street. Well, though he knew what the savage torturer was, was getting ready for him, said Winton, yes, had in store for him. Yet he brushed aside his kinsmen and the people delaying his return. Yes, but how do you render obstantes? If it's a free translation, mightn't obstantes and mortantem come to about the same thing, sir? Nothing comes to about the same thing with Horace, Winton, as I have said. Horace was not a journalist. Now, I take it that his kinsman bodily withstood his departure, whereas the crowd, populumque, the, the democracy, stood about futilely pitying him and getting in the way. Now, for that noblest of endings, quam si clientum. And King ran off into the quotation, as though some tedious business or of client's court his journey lay towards Venafrum's grassy floor, or Sparta-built Tarentum's bay. All right, Winton, Beetle, when you've quite finished dodging the fresh air yonder, give me the meaning of tendens, and turn down your collar. Me, sir, tendens, sir. Oh, stretching away in the direction of, sir. Idiot, Regulus was not a feature of the landscape. He was a man, self-doomed to death by torture. At qui scabat, knowing it, having achieved it for his country's sake, can't you hear that at qui cut like a knife? He moved off with some dignity. That's why Horace, out of the whole golden Latin tongue, chose the one word, tendens, which is utterly untranslatable. The gross injustice of being asked to translate it converted Beetle into a young Christian martyr till King buried his nose in his handkerchief again. "'I think they've broken another gas-bottle next door, sir,' said Howell. "'They're always doing it.' The form coughed as more chlorine came in. "'Well, I suppose you must be patient with the modern side,' said King. "'But it's most insupportable for this side. Vernon, what are you grinning at?' Vernon's mind had returned to him glowing and inspired. He chuckled as he underlined his Horace. It appears to amuse you, said King. Let us participate. What is it? The last two lines of the tenth ode in this book, sir, was Vernon's amazing reply. What? Oh, I see. Non hoc semper erit liminis aut aeque silestis patens latus. King's mouth twitched to hide a grin. Was that done with intention? This side will not always be patient of rain and waiting on the household. I, I thought it fitted, sir. It does. It's distinctly happy. What put it into your thick head, Paddy? I don't know, sir. Except we did the ode last term. 
and you remembered the same head that minted proposis as a verb vernon you are an enigma no this side will not always be patient of unheavenly gases and waters i will make representations to our so-called moderns meantime who shall say that i am not just i remit you your accrued pains and penalties in regard to probosium probosis proposit and other enormities i oughtn't to do it but this side is occasionally human by no means bad paddy thank you sir said vernon wondering how inspiration had visited him then king with a few brisk remarks about science headed them back to regulus of whom and of horace and rome and evil-minded commercial carthage and of the democracy eternally futile he explained in all ages and climes he spoke for ten minutes passing thence to the next ode delicta majorum where he fetched up full-voiced upon diste minorem quod geris imperas thou rulest because thou bearest thyself as lower than the gods making it a text for a discourse on manners morals and respect for authority as distinct from bottled gases which lasted till the bell rang then beetle concertinering his books observed to winton when king's really on tap he's an interesting dog hartop's chlorine uncorked him yes but why did you tell me delubris was deluges you silly ass said winton well that uncorked him too look out you hoof-handled old owl winton had cleared for action as the form poured out like puppies at play and was scragging beetle stalky from behind followed winton low the three fell in confusion diste minorem quod geris imperas quoth stalky ruffling winton's lint-white locks mustn't jape the number five study don't be too virtuous don't brood over it don't count against you in your future career cheer up pater pile him off my er, essential guts will you said beetle from underneath he's squashing em they dispersed to their studies no one the owner least of all can explain what is in a growing boy's mind it might have been the blind ferment of adolescence stalky's random remarks about virtue might have stirred him like his betters he might have sought popularity by way of clowning or as the head asserted years later the only known jest of his serious life might have worked on him as a sober-sided man's one love colours and dislocates all his after days but at the next lesson mechanical drawing with mr lidget who as drawing-master had very limited powers of punishment winton fell suddenly from grace and let loose a live mouse in the form-room the whole form shrieking and leaping high threw at it all the plaster cones pyramids and fruit in high relief not to mention ink-pots that they could lay hands on mr lidget reported at once to the head winton owned up to his crime which venial in the upper third pardonable at a price in the lower fourth was of course rank ruffianism on the part of a fifth form boy and so by graduated stages he arrived at the head's study just before lunch penitent perturbed annoyed with himself and as the head said to king in the corridor after the meal more human than he had known him in seven years you see the head drawled on winton's only fault is a certain costive and unaccommodating virtue so this comes very happily i never noticed any sign of it said king winton was in king's house and though king as proconsul might and did infernally impress his own province once a black and yellow cap was in trouble at the hands of the imperial authority king fought for him to the very last steps of caesar's throne well you yourself admitted just now that the mouse was beneath the occasion the head answered it was said king mr king did not love mr lidget it should have been a rat but but i hate to plead it it's the lad's first offence could you have damned him more completely king hmm what's the penalty said king in retreat but keeping up a rearguard action only my usual few lines of virgil be shown up by tea-time the head's eyes turned slightly to the end of the corridor where mullins captain of the games 
pot old pot or potiphar mullins was pinning up the usual wednesday notice big middle and little side football a to k l to z three to four forty five p m you cannot write out the head's usual few which means five hundred latin lines and play football for more than one and three quarters for more than one hour and three quarters between the hours of one thirty and five p m winton had evidently no intention of trying to do so for he hung about the corridor with a set face and an uneasy foot yet it was law in the school compared to which that of the medes and persians was no more than non-committal resolution that any boy outside the first fifteen who missed his football for any reason whatever and had not a written excuse duly signed by competent authority to explain his absence would receive not less than three strokes with a ground ash from the captain of the games generally a youth between seventeen and eighteen years rarely under seven stone pot was nearer thirteen and always in hard condition king knew without inquiry that the head had given winton no such excuse but he's practically a member of the first fifteen he's played for it all this term said king i believe his cap should have arrived next week his cap has not been given him oddly therefore he is naught i rely on old pot but mullins is winton's study mate king persisted pot mullins and pater winton were cousins and rather close friends that will make no difference to mullins or winton if i know em said the head but but king played his last card desperately i was going to recommend winton for extra sub-prefect in my house now carton has gone certainly said the head why not he will be excellent by tea-time i hope at that moment he saw mr lidgett tripping down the corridor waylaid by winton it's about that mouse business at mechanical drawing winton opened swinging across his path yes yes highly disgraceful mr lidgett panted i know it was said winton it, it was a cad's trick because because you knew i couldn't give you more than fifty lines said mr lidgett well anyhow i've come to apologize for it certainly said mr lidgett and added for he was a kindly man i think that shows quite right feeling i'll tell the head at once i'm satisfied no no the boy's still unmended voice jumped from the growl to the squeak i didn't mean that i did it on principle please don't do anything of that kind mr lidgett looked him up and down and being an artist understood thank you winton he said this shall be between ourselves you heard said king in decent pride in his voice of course you thought he was going to get lidgett to beg him off the impot king denied this with so much warmth that the head laughed and king went away in a huff by the way said the head i've told winton to do his lines in your form room not his study thanks said king over his shoulder for the head's orders had saved winton and mullins who was doing extra army work in the study from an embarrassing afternoon together an hour later king wandered into his form room as though by accident winton was hard at work aha said king rubbing his hands this does not look like games winton don't let me arrest your facile pen whence this sudden love for virgil impo from the head sir for that mouse business this morning rumours thereof have reached us that was a lapse on your part into lower thirdary which i don't quite understand the tump-tump of the puntabouts before the sides settled to games came through the open window winton like his housemaster loved fresh air when they heard paddy vernon sub-prefect on duty calling the roll in the field and marking defaulters winton wrote steadily king curled himself up on a desk hands round knees one would have said that the man was gloating over the boy's misfortune but the boy understood diste minorem quod geris imperas quoted king presently it is necessary to bear oneself as lower than the local gods even then drawing-masters who are precluded from effective retaliation i do wish you'd tried that mouse game with me pater winton grinned then sobered it was a cad's trick sir to play on mr lidgett he peered forward at the page he was copying 
Well, the sin I impute to each frustrate ghost, King stopped himself, why do you goggle like an owl? Hand me the mantuan and I'll dictate. No matter, any rich Virgilian measures will serve. I may peradventure recall a few, he began. Te regere imperio populos, Romane memento, Hai tibi erunt artes, Pacisque imponerum morem, Pacere subjectis et debellare superbos. There you have it all, Winton. Write that out twice and yet once again. For the next forty minutes, with never a glance at the book, King paid out the glorious hexameters, and King could read Latin as though were alive, Winton hauling them in and coiling them away behind him, as trimmers in a telegraph ship's hold coil away deep-sea cable. King broke from the Aeneid for the Georgics, and back again, pausing now and then to translate some specially loved line, or to dwell on the treble-shot texture of the ancient fabric. He did not allude to the coming interview with Mullins, except at the last, when he said, I think at this juncture, Pater, I need not ask you for the precise significance of Atki Skiebat quae sibi barbarous tortor. The ungrateful Winton flushed angrily, and King loafed out to take five o'clock call-over, after which he invited little Hartop to tea and a talk on chlorine gas. Hartop accepted the challenge like a bantam and the two went up to King's study, about the same time as Winton returned to the form-room beneath it, to finish his lines. Then half a dozen of the second fifteen, who should have been washing, strolled in to condole with Pater Winton, whose misfortune and its consequences were common talk. No one was more sincere than the long, red-headed, knotty-knuckled Paddy Vernon, but, being a careless animal, he joggled Winton's desk. "'Curse you for a silly ass!' said Winton. "'Don't do that!' No one is expected to be polite while under punishment, so Vernon, sinking his sub-prefectship, replied peacefully enough. "'Well, don't be wrathy, Pater.' "'I'm not,' said Winton. "'Get out. This ain't your house, Formroom. Formroom don't belong to you. Why don't you go to your own study?' Vernon replied. "'Because Mullins is there waiting for the victim,' said Storky delicately, and they all laughed. "'You ought to have shaken that mouse out of your trouser-leg, Pater. That's the way I did in my youth. Pater's reverting to his second childhood. Never mind, Pater, we all respect you and your future career." Winton, still writhing, growled. Vernon, leaning on the desk, somehow shook it again. Then he laughed. "'What are you grinning at?' Winton asked. "'I was only thinking of you being sent up to take a licking from Pot. I swear I don't think it's fair. You've never shirked a game in your life, and you're as good as in the first fifteen already. Your cap ought to have been delivered last week, oughtn't it?" It was law in the school that no man could by any means enjoy the privileges and immunities of the first fifteen till the black velvet cap with the gold tassel, made by dilatory Exeter outfitters, had been actually set on his head. Ages ago a large-built and unruly second fifteen had attempted to change this law but the prefects of that age were still larger, and the lively experiment had never been repeated. "'Will you,' said Winton very slowly, "'kindly mind your own damned business, you cursed, clumsy, fat-headed fool!' The form-room was as silent as the empty field in the darkness outside. Vernon shifted his feet uneasily. "'Well, I shouldn't like to take a lickin' from Pot," he said. "'Wouldn't you?' Winton asked, as he paged the sheets of lines with hands that shook. "'No, I shouldn't,' said Vernon, his freckles growing more distinct on the bridge of his white nose. "'Well, I'm going to take it.' Winton moved clear of the desk as he spoke. "'But you're going to take a lickin' from me first.' And before anyone realised it, he'd flung himself neighing against Vernon. No decencies were observed on either side and the rest looked on amazed. The two met confusedly, Vernon trying to do what he could with his longer reach, Winston insensible to blows, only concerned to drive his enemy into a corner and batter him to pulp. This he managed over against the fireplace, 
where Vernon dropped half stunned. Now I'm going to give you your lickin', said Winton. Lie there till I get a ground ash, and I'll cut you to pieces. If you move, I'll chuck you out of the window. He wound his hands into the boy's collar and waistband, and had actually heaved him half off the ground, before the others with one accord dropped on his head, shoulders, and legs. He fought them crazily in an awful hissing silence. Storky's sensitive nose was rubbed along the floor, Beetle received a jolt in the wind that sent him whistling and crowing against the wall, Perone's forehead was cut, and Malpas came out with an eye that explained itself, like a dying rainbow, through a whole week. "'Mad! Quite mad!' said Storky, and for the third time wriggled back to Winton's throat. The door opened, and King came in. Hartop's little figure just behind him. The mound on the floor panted and heaved, but did not rise, for Winton still squirmed vengefully. "'Only a little play, sir,' said Perone. "'Only hit my head against a form.' This was quite true. "'Oh,' said King, "'demovid obstantes propinquos. You, I presume, are the populace delaying Winton's return to Mullins, eh?' "'No, sir.' said Storky, behind his claret-coloured handkerchief. "'We're the Maiorentes Amicos.' "'Not bad. You see, some of it sticks after all,' King chuckled to Hartop, and the two masters left without further inquiries. The boys sat still on the now passive Winton. "'Well,' said Storky at last, "'of all the putrid he-asses, Pater, you are the—' "'I'm sorry, I'm awfully sorry,' Winton began and they let him rise. He held out his hand to the bruised and bewildered Vernon. Sorry, Paddy, I, I must have lost my temper. I don't know what's the matter with me. Fat lot of good. That'll do my face at tea, Vernon grunted. Why couldn't you say there was something wrong with you instead of lamming out like a lunatic? Is my lip puffy? Just a trifle. Look at my beak. Well, we got all those pretty marks at footer, owing to the zeal with which we played the game said Storky, dusting himself. But do you think you're fit to be let loose again, Pater? Sure you don't want to kill another sub-prefect? I wish I was Pot. I'd cut your sprightly young soul out. I suppose I ought to go to Pot now, said Winton. And let all the other asses see you looking like this. Not much. We'll all come up to number five study, and wash off in hot water. Beetle, you aren't damaged. Go along and light the gas-stove. "'There's a tin of cocoa in my study somewhere,' Perone shouted after him. "'Rootle round till you find it, and take it up.' Separately, by different roads, Vernon's jersey pulled half over his head. The boys repaired to number five study. Little Hartop and King, I'm sorry to say, leaned over the banisters of King's Landing and watched. "'Very human,' said little Hartop. "'Your virtuous Winton, having got himself into trouble.' Takes it out of my poor old Paddy. I wonder what precise lie Paddy will tell about his face. But surely you aren't going to embarrass him by asking, said King. Your boy won, said Hartop. To go back to what we were discussing, said King quickly, do you pretend that your modern system of inculcating unrelated facts about chlorine, for instance, all of which have been proved fallacies by the time the boys grow up, can have any real bearing on education? even the low type of it that the examiners expect? I maintain nothing. But is it any worse than your Chinese reiteration of uncomprehended syllables in a dead tongue? Dead, forsooth! King Felly danced. The only living tongue on earth! Chinese! My word, Hartop! And the end of seven years, how often have I said it, Hartop went on, seven years of two hundred and twenty days of six hours each, your victims go away with nothing, absolutely nothing, except, perhaps, if they've been very attentive, a dozen, no, I'll grant you twenty, one score of totally unrelated Latin tags which any child of twelve could have absorbed in two terms. But, but, can't you realise that if our system brings later, at any rate, at a pinch, a simple understanding, grammar and latinity apart, a mere glimpse of the significance, foul word of, we'll say, one ode of Horace, one twenty lines of Virgil. We've got what we poor devils of ushers are striving after. 
and what might that be said hartopp balance proportion perspective life your scientific man is the unrelated animal the beast without background have you ever realized that in your atmosphere of stinks meanwhile you should make them lose life for the sake of living eh blind again hartopp i told you about paddy's quotation this morning he made proposis a verb he did you yourself heard young cochran's reference to my rentes amicos it sticks a little of it sticks among the barbarians absolutely and essentially chinese said little hartopp who alone in the common room refused to be outfaced by king but i don't understand how paddy came to be licked by winton paddy's supposed to be something of a boxer beware of vinegar made from honey king replied pater like some other people is patient and long-suffering but he has his limits the head is oppressing him damnably too as i pointed out the boy has practically been in the first fifteen since term began but my dear fellow i've known you give a boy an impo and refuse him leave off games again and again ah but that was when there was real need to get at some oaf who couldn't be sensitized any other way now in our esteemed heads action i see nothing but the conversation from this point does not concern us meanwhile winton very penitent and especially polite towards vernon was being cheered with cocoa in number five study they had some difficulty in stemming the flood of his apologies he himself pointed out to vernon that he had attacked a sub-prefect for no reason whatever and therefore deserved official punishment i can't think what was the matter with me to-day he mourned ever since that blasted mouse business well then don't think said stalky or do you want paddy to make a row about it before all the school here vernon was understood to say that he could see winton and all the school somewhere else and if you imagine perone and malpas and me are going to give evidence at a prefect's meeting just to soothe your beastly conscience you jolly well are said beetle i know what you did what croaked peter out of the valley of his humiliation you went berserk i've read all about it in hypatia what's going berserk winton asked never you mind was the reply now don't you feel awfully weak and seedy i am rather tired said winton sighing that's what you ought to be you've gone berserk and pretty soon you'll go to sleep but you'll probably be liable to fits of it all your life beetle concluded shouldn't wonder if you murdered someone some day shut up you and your berserks said stalky go to mullins now and get it over pater call it filthy unjust of the head said vernon anyhow you've given me my licking old man i hope pot'll give you yours i'm awfully awfully sorry was winton's last word it was the custom in that consulship to deal with games defaulters between five o'clock call-over and tea mullins who was old enough to pity did not believe in letting boys wait through the night till the chill of the next morning for their punishments he was finishing off the last of the small fry and their excuses when winton arrived but please mullins this was babcock tertius a dear little twelve-year-old mother's darling i had an awful hack on the knee i've been to matron about it and she gave me some iodine i've been rubbing it in all day i thought that would be an excuse off let's have a look at it said the impassive mullins that's a shin bruise about a week old touch your toes i'll give you the iodine babcock yelled loudly as he had many times before the face of jevons aged eleven a new boy that dark wet term low in the house low in the lower school and lowest of all in his homesick little mind turned white at the horror of the sight they could hear his working lips part stickily as babcock wailed his way out of the hearing hello jevons what brings you here said mullins please sir i went for a walk with babcock tertius did you then i bet you went to the tuck shop and you paid didn't you a nod jevons was too terrified to speak of course and i bet babcock told you that old pot had let you off because it was the first time another nod with a ghost of a smile in it all right mullins picked jevons up before he could guess what was coming laid him on the table with one hand 
with the other gave him three empathetic spanks then held him high in the air now you tell babcock tertius that he's got you a licking from me and see you jolly well pay it back to him when you're prefect of games don't you let anyone shirk his footer without a written excuse where do you play your game forward sir you can do better than that i've seen you run like a young buck rabbit ask dixon from me to try you out as three quarters next game will you cut along jevons left warm for the first time that day enormously set up in his own esteem and very hot against the deceitful babcock mullins turned to winton your name's on the list pater winton nodded i know it the head landed me with an impo for that mouse business at mechanical drawing no excuse he meant it then mullins jerked his head delicately towards the ground ash shot on the table i heard something about it winton nodded rotten thing to do he said i can't think what i was doing ever to do it it counts against a fellow so and there's some more too all right pater just stand clear of our photo bracket will you the little formality over there was a pause winton swung round yawned in pott's astonished face and staggered towards the window seat what's the matter with you dick ill no perfectly all right thanks only only a little sleepy winton stretched himself out and then and there fell deeply and placidly asleep it isn't a faint said the experienced mullins or his pulse wouldn't act it isn't a fit or it's snort and twitch it can't be sunstroke this term and he hasn't been overtraining for anything he opened winton's collar packed a cushion under his head threw a rug over him and sat down to listen to the regular breathing before long stalky arrived on pretence of borrowing a book he looked at the window seat notice anything wrong with winton lately said mullins notice anything wrong with my beak stalky replied pater went berserk after call-over and fell on a lot of us for jesting with him about his impo you ought to see malpass's eye you mean pater fought said mullins like a devil and then he nearly went to sleep in our study just now i expect he'll be all right when he wakes up rummy business conscientious old bargee you ought to have heard his apologies but pater can't fight one little bit mullins repeated twasn't fighting he just tried to murder everyone stalky described the affair and when he had left mullins went off to take counsel with the head who out of a cloud of blue smoke told him that all would yet be well winton said he is a little stiff in his moral joints he'll get over that if he asks you whether today's doings will count against him in his but you know it's important to him sir his people aren't very well off said mullins that's why i'm taking all this trouble you must reassure him pot i have overcrowded him with new experiences oh by the way has his cap come it came at dinner sir mullins laughed sure enough when he waked at tea-time Wynne proposed to take mullins all through every one of his day's lapses from grace and do you think it will count against me said he don't you fuss so much about yourself and your silly career said mullins you're all right and oh here's your first cap at last shove it up on the bracket and come on to tea they met king on their way stepping statelily and rubbing his hands i have applied said he for the services of an additional sub-prefect in carton's unlamented absence your name winton seems to have found favour with the powers that be and all things considered i am disposed to give my support to the nomination you are therefore a quasi-lector then it didn't count against me winton gasped as soon as they were out of hearing a captain of games congest with a sub-prefect publicly you utter ass said mullins and caught him on the back of his stiff neck and ran him down to the hall where the sub-prefects who sit below the salt made him welcome with the economical bloater paste of mid-term king and little hartop were sparring in the reverend john gillett's study at ten p m classical versus modern as usual character proportion background snarled king that is the essence of the humanities analects of confucius little hartop answered time said the reverend john behind the soda water 
You men oppress me. Hartop, what did you say to Paddy in your dormitories tonight? Even you couldn't have overlooked his face. But I did, said Hartop calmly. I wasn't even humorous about it as some clerics might have been. I went straight through and said naught. Poor Paddy. Now for my part, said King, you know I'm not lavish with my praises. I consider Winton a first-class type, absolutely first-class. Hardly, said the Reverend John. First class of the second class, I admit. The very best type of second class. But, he shook his head, should have been a rat. Peter'll never be anything more than a colonel of engineers. What do you base that verdict on? said King stiffly. He came to me after prayers with all his conscience. Poor old Pater. Was it the mouse? said little Hartop. That and what he called his uncontrollable temper, and his responsibilities as sub-prefect. And you? If we had had what is vulgarly called a pie-jaw, he'd have had hysterics. So I recommended a dose of Epsom salts. He'll take it too, conscientiously. Don't eat me, King. Perhaps he'll be a KCB. Ten o'clock struck, and the army class boys in the further studies, coming to their houses after an extra hour's work, passed along the gravel path below. Someone was chanting to the tune of White Sand and Grey Sand, Diste minorem quod geris imperas. He stopped outside Mullins' study. They heard Mullins' window slide up, and then Storky's voice. Ah, good evening, Mullins, my barbarous tortor. We are the waits. We have come to inquire after the local berserk. Is he doing as well as can be expected in his new career? Better than you will in a sack, Storky, Mullins grunted. Glad of that. We thought he'd like to know that Paddy has been carried to the sick house in raving delirium. They think it's concussion of the brain. Why, he was all right at prayers, Winton began earnestly, and they heard a laugh in the background as Mullins slammed down the window. Night, Regulus, Storky sang out, and the light footsteps went on. You see, it sticks. A little of it sticks among the barbarians, said King. Amen, said the Reverend John. Go to bed. A Translation Horace, Book 5, Ode 3 There are those whose study is of smells, and two attentive schools rehearse how something mixed with something else makes something worse. Some cultivate in broths impure the clients of our body, these increasingly without venous cure or cause disease. Others the heated wheel extol and all its offspring whose concern is how to make it farthest roll and fastest turn me much incurious if the hour present or to be paid for brings me to brindusium by the power of wheels or wings me in whose breasts no flame hath burned lifelong save that by pindar lit such law leaves cold i am not turned aside to it more than when sunk in thought profound of what the unaltering gods require my steward friend but slave brings round logs for my fire end of regulus by rudyard kipling